Ah, uh, dear. This is Meet Katie. <laughs> <laughs> this is Elite Force. You're listening to Meet Katie on Lower the Tone. Third episode of Lauren the Tone with me, Meet Katie. This time round, I have a fantastic interview with Simon Shackleton, Mr. Elite Force. If you haven't listened to the show before and you don't know what to expect, please remember it's a podcast, not a promo mix. It's as simple as this I play a load of stuff I like in the hope that you like it too. And you never know, you might discover something new or stumble upon a style of music that you didn't realise you liked. If you want the track listing for this show, you need to go to meetkatie.com and subscribe to the mailing list. And if you want to contribute anything to the show, please email me on mark at meetkatie.com. Thank you for everyone that's retweeted, shared the links for this show, just the general promo that you've been putting into it. Uh, it's really appreciated. I'm going to show that appreciation in the form of a competition later on. I'm going to give away some mix CDs from myself, Lee Coombs and Leap Force. So stay tuned. Where is he?
tune. Evil Nine on the remix. I'm going to keep it up tempo for the next 20 minutes or so. Get deep into the mix. Here's some techno from the Ukraine. listening to Low in the Toe with me, Meet Katie.
sound of what you're listening to right now you can catch me next weekend Friday the 8th in Bordeaux France I'll be playing at the B59 club alongside the Electro Bugs Epso and Nooch And then on Saturday the 9th, I'll be playing at the Mind Funk second birthday party alongside Head Flux, Costas G, and my good friend Andy Beckett, Mr. ABS. And that's in Colchester in the UK. Last Mind Funk was absolutely phenomenal. So if you're in the area, try and make it down. Right, let's get on to this competition. I've got 10 copies of CDs from the Lot 49 catalogue to give away. They're mixes from myself, Elite Force, Lee Coombs. I've also got the 30 Hertz album and the Lee Coombs Light and Dark album to give away. All you have to do is do a tweet, share a link, or make a comment on the iTunes page. Also rate it if you can. So anyone that I see contributing a bit of promo to this podcast, I'm going to put your names in a hat and get my little boy, Charlie, who's six, so it will be fair, to pull ten names out of the hat. Then I will announce the names via the mailing list. You just let me know which albums you want. And I will post them to you. The good thing about this is many of you are already doing this, so just think of it as a little thank you. Not a bad thank you either. We've got a bunch of Lot 49 t-shirts, but we can't seem to find them. (laughs) Maybe next time. Right, enough chat. Let's get back to the music. Thank you. 
late night vibes for you. You're listening to me, Katie, on Lowering the Tone. one more track and then we're going to slip into something even deeper probably the deepest music I've played on the show don't forget we still have an interview coming up with Simon Shackleton Oh, 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 
be a bit of jacking discotech. Courtesy of Funk Investigation. Right, as I mentioned, we're going to slip into something deeper right now. A lot of you have commented that you enjoyed uh, the more low-slung areas that I've exploring on this podcast, which makes me happy. Uh, turn it up, kick back and enjoy.
You're listening to me, Katie, on Lowering the Tone. I do dedications but Shantio Tall messaged me on Facebook and suggested I play this track I already had it and I like it so I guess it's a dedication
few shout outs to do. I'd like to say congratulations to Alan Cross, Dirt Revolver, on the birth of baby Joel. Well done, mate. Send my regards to mum. Also, I'd like to give a big shout out to Joseph McLean and the Funkatech Records crew. Joe's the guy that designed my website. You should check out his stuff. I'd also like to give a shout out to Ben Remember and Jamie Records. Record Records, should I say. I look forward to catching up with you soon, guys. Been meaning to give a shout out to uh, some other really good friends of mine, the Wickerman crew. Simon, LJ, Roger, Big Dave, all the crew up there in Scotland. Also, Mr. Matthew Miles, Paul Blanford and Benji, Death Proof Records. Matthew Miles is the guy that's done all the design work for the podcast.
is Lee Coombs and you're listening to Lowering the Tone.
enjoyed the music you've heard on this podcast, head over to meekatie.com, hit subscribe, and I will send you the track listing. I've got my interview with Elite Force coming up shortly, so stay tuned.
So thank you for listening to my deeper selection. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's get into that interview of Elite Force. Exclusive. So, Simon, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Mark. It's very good to see you. Welcome down to the farm. Yes. It's a very pleasant autumn day. We set the podcast up in your kitchen. We have, yeah. So we may have, there may be a few kind of um, erroneous sounds coming out as various dogs and one puppy particularly who's a bit of a tear away. So, yeah, apologies for her. That's not your wife, is it? No, That's no, no, wife, no. Yeah, she, she, she doesn't come in through the dog flight. <laughs> South trained. <laughs> yeah, not often anyway. <laughs> so where should we start? Thank you for everyone that sent over questions for Shaq. Um, I call him Shaq because your name's Simon Shackleton. Yes. Um, in case people don't know why I'm calling you Shaq, that's why. Um, I could call you Elite. Uh, yeah, that's not so good either. <laughs> so, uh, Simon or Shaq is fine. Or <laughs> <laughs> Dear, oh dear. <laughs> so let's get this started. Firstly, you're probably one of the hardest working DJ producers I know. Uh, well, you probably are. Um, ironically, Alex Metric as well is. Is I know. I know you're not similar in sound or anything like that, but you're similar in your work ethics. Yeah, is you're just always doing it. <laughs> it's just never. You never stop. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see. You know, especially these days, I don't really see as much option. You know, it's it. It's really hard to, it's, as a profession. It's very very hard to dip into and dip out of again. And um, there's just so much to do, you know, like we were, we were saying earlier about how um, you used to give away some of your responsibility to a press person or to, a, a you know, someone else was running the label with you or whatever. And those, those options just aren't there anymore. There's no, there are no margins. There's no money to pay for that stuff. No. So, you know, you kind of, I think, I think most people who are, who are surviving in, in the game are, are, are doing that, are just working very, very hard to, um, you know, just to keep things ticking over, really. There's obviously a ton of stuff we, we, I would like to talk to you about, sure. and, and the, the questions are extremely varied. The reason I'm not going to read out who asked the questions is um, a lot of these questions are similar to other questions that other people have asked. Yeah. Um, for other artists, so I'm just going to ask you the questions. Yeah, yeah, that's fine, man. You and A. Yeah. What's going on with the label? Um, I think the word backburner probably applies pretty much to you and A. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the last 15 months, I've found it really hard to be all that motivated with the label. You know, it's been partly to do with, um, you know, I had a bunch of artists that, that I'd signed to the label who have... You know, who've, who've, their music's evolved. It's maybe evolved into something that I'm not as keen on as I used to be. Um, and also just for me recently, just searching for really good quality peak time music's become harder and harder. I think peak time music generally has just become, it's got such a smell of retail park about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yes. kind of just big, you know, you kind of, you just imagine so many of those tracks um, that are successful at the moment just being played in Next or, I don't know wherever it might be. It's it, it just um it's just for me very very commercial music and more commercial than really what I want to be doing. So this is the rise of EDM, isn't it? Well, it is the rise of EDM, yeah. And and it's you know it's it just is what it is. It's um but what what I think's what what for me has been quite disappointing about it is how every genre has been sort of sandpapered by this sound that um you know kind of I guess started out 
started out with dubstep becoming very, very heavy. And then those sounds almost immediately kind of, when dubstep started becoming very successful, we just transported into every other genre going. So progressive house, how did that get to be what it is now? I mean, it just does make no sense on any level. And I can, you know, I can understand dubstep. I can understand how, say, that deep and dubby sound of Benger and Scream early doors, I can understand how that has sort of transformed into something that's like heavy metal, hard as nails. But, um, you know, a lot of that's just due, due to it being governed by the tempo. But but then that sound has just infiltrated everything yeah. and it's kind of changed everything, you know. it's Well, pro- Progressive House is, you know, well, half of it's trance now with the breakdowns being, you know, big arpeggiated riffs yeah. rising, you know, and then it sort of kicks into a sort of electro-complexo type sound and that now is yeah. deemed and, and it is almost like a there's a template there's a template for that sound yeah but in what way does it you know in what way does that differ from what electro's become as well i mean electro's kind of become more like hard house i suppose but yeah it's kind of <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know it's it's just it's just a, for me it's just a shame because in in all of that happening that focal part of the music, which is the groove, has just been lost in so many cases. It's just been obliterated by the need for a, a lowest common denominator hook. And I'm just, I'm not interested in that. Never have been, you know, it so just doesn't it, do it for me. Is this, is this in line with why, um, like, you've decided to put um, Zodiac Cartel to bed? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Zodiac Cartel is... I. I <laughs> You know, a lot of the a lot of the peers that I was making music along with when I started doing Zodiac Cartel um, have either quit or they've just gone off in complete tangents and are doing music that is truly horrendous. So <laughs> it's kind of, you know, I, I tried I tried with Zodiac Cartel. I tried doing some stuff that was say a lot deeper than the Elite Force stuff, and I really enjoyed making the music, but it's not really. You know, it's not really Zodiac. You know, Zodiac Cartel doesn't wear comfy slippers. It's not. That's no. not the, the the vibe. It was much more to do with peak time. So, um, so yeah, I just just got to the point with it where I couldn't work out where to go with it. Well, I think so, I think I can speak for a lot of people. That sound will be missed because it did sit in the gap between yeah breaks house electro yeah very percussive. Um, I I was I've. You know, I think you know. I always played that. Yeah, yeah, so I for played sure. quite religiously. Um, uh, you know, and I, you know, I really like, I really like the sound. Obviously, really like the sound as well. <laughs> I was the one that made it, but um, it's, you know, and it's not just to do with marketing and where you position stuff. But like you were saying, it existed in that hole between breaks and electro. Well, that hole's now so vast. It, it just doesn't. There is no hole to occupy. To it. No, exactly. Yeah. There's nowhere to really make it work. I mean. Where where are you going to pitch yourself to go out and DJ? Where do you, who do you want to play alongside? And I've done a few of those shows where I've been playing alongside kind of, you know, noisy EDM guys, and I literally just wanted to punch my own face off. And I, I, I didn't want to, you know, standing there in the club just not really wanting to be there at all. It's not, it's not my idea of a fun weekend. So yeah, That's a shame. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, seriously. But, I mean, know. you know, I would... I would you know, and I suppose you can, to an extent, you can argue, well, just make the music that you want to be making and whatever. But, you know... It's not that simple. It's not that it? simple no. when, you, when, when you're running a label as well um, and you're, you are trying to promote it, you're trying to market it to an extent, you're trying to sell enough copies to at least pay for the process of having it 
mastered, you know. Yeah, well, you know, um, I had this conversation with Marvin um, about running a label, you know, that I don't think people quite grasp, you know, that they're just it, running a label now. You, you're not, it's no get, get, get rich quick scheme, you know. Yeah. You can't just knock out tracks and build upon that and make a ton of money. Yeah. There just is not, you know, not money coming back to the label from digital sales, you know, yeah. even, even a decent, you know, like after we pay everything out, after we everything's, we make about 30p a download. Yeah. You're not getting rich. Well, you, you know, you are struggling to cover costs. It's, it's the bottom line, isn't it? It's, yeah. Um, you know, we were look, I was looking at this the other day and the, there, are, there are releases that we've done in the last 18 months that won't have covered the cost of promo and the cost of mastering and artwork and well yeah and all you know all yeah all of all of the other stuff that that kind of comes on top but actually won't have covered the cost of doing it and that's you know that's not to uh, you're not even beginning to take into account the time and energy and all the rest of it that the artist has put into making the music and a lot of the time that's you you know well also is that when it's not your piece of music the time you're committing yeah to promote an artist as well yeah you're not accounting for you know you're not on a, you're not an hourly rate for the label that you own yeah so you know that money's lost as well that time's lost yeah so you know i guess i guess you've got to sort of stand there and go is it worth it well it is exactly and it's you know this isn't this isn't necessarily like this isn't me being particularly negative about i'm not trying to put across a negative message because a lot of what i do is about trying to be trying to be forward thinking and trying to do stuff that is exciting so you know the the una if i mean if if i was getting a deluge of great quality demos and stuff that was getting me really excited i'd be releasing it i'd be releasing it tomorrow and i've got the I've, the label's done very well for itself over the years it's got a decent name you know we've got a good following um but i'm not going to release music that i don't believe in because mm. it's like you said the 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 amount of effort and work and time it is just isn't it's not worth it so yeah. there's got to be a plan in there somewhere yeah absolutely so yeah so you know that's 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 just how it is it's kind of on the back burner a bit so um we'll see what happens yeah. you got a new single stay yeah. with me which i played on my last show thank you <laughs> i love it <laughs> it's been referred to by you <laughs> Uh-oh. Classy breaks. Yeah, well, wow, that's. Uh, yeah. I like it. I've created a little subgenre for my own piece of music. Um, <laughs> well, no, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I go on a lot of forums and I, and I speak to a lot of people who are constantly bemoaning the fact that breaks doesn't have that depth to it. It doesn't have that deeper side to it um, that um, that it used to have. You know, when certainly when you and me first got into making breaks and writing breaks as well the the number of house labels that would have their b2 track would be a break beach yeah and and a lot of house labels that do you know you just think about like bushwhackers labels and stuff i mean there was a lot of like you know 124 125 bpm breaks tracks which which were really nice because for what you and me do musically joins those gaps, yeah. isn't it? Well, it's, it's, well, that's a good example. Plank. Yeah, yeah, label. exactly. Yeah. You know, his, his label, I think, were a good example of, you know, quality tech house yeah. sitting next to uh, yeah. breakbeat tracks and, you know, 
someone like Bushwhacker, for those that don't know, he's an awesome DJ. Absolutely, you know? yeah. He's a great DJ. So watching guys like that or Eve Lady Richards play and dropping some breaks tracks in their set, yeah. but it actually flowed. It didn't sound didn't sound alien. Yeah. It sort of worked, you know, it was very inspiring. Yeah, and a lot of that a lot of that comes down to it comes down to what the music does in the first place. And you know, if you're a if you're a house producer and you're used to focusing mainly just on the groove of a track you sit down and do a breaks track, you're going to focus on the groove of the track. And that's that's why the two dovetail really nicely and why they're sort of usable across different types of sets. Whereas, you know, the, the, the whole dynamic with a lot of a lot of breaks stuff, even the, down to the way it's mixed by people, is, you know, crossfaders and it's cut and paste and it's dropping a breakdown and it's dropping... It's not about blending music A little bit of scratching. Yeah, a little bit of scratching and maybe an MC. Tease them. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I but, suffered at the hands yeah. of an MC last weekend. So, <laughs> yeah, we've all we've all been there. <laughs> so yeah, the connection between um, we 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 moved really quickly onto breaks, didn't we? I know. Well, you know, it's yeah. it's, it's it, it, something I get asked about all the time. I get asked about all the time, and you know, for for me, that's that's like a massive part of it is when I DJ, and this goes back. 15 years or whatever but when i dj i like to blend tracks together and i do quite long blends i tend to mix stuff in key and i like to i like to go between styles if i can movement yeah, yeah. just movement in the in the set and just exploring different different areas being able to take it properly deep and be able to you know build it up something that's quite heavy but the way that so much breakbeat stuff is structured these days is just about it's it's about just smashing people in the one face you know? on yeah set. one big moment on the floor and stuff and again it's just not I'm, I'm much more about the groove and always have been really well that um with the new single stay with me that's like just very true to what you just said um somebody's somebody's messaged in and asked about the vocal because the the vocal sounds very um natural yeah in, in an electronic track you know which is it's an art that's it's an art to, yeah um, um, it's, it's a weird one. It's actually, I don't know if I should say who it is in case I get clobbered, but I can't, I can't somehow <laughs> imagine Motown or whoever it was would be clobbering me. It's an Al Green um, sample. Um, and yeah, it just, you know, I had, I had the, the vocal kind of uh, on file for a long, long time. And it was, just, it was just about trying to find the right sounds to right go backing. with it. Yeah, exactly. But it, um, and then the, the vocals towards the end, I, I overdubbed some of my own voice on there as well and did all the kind of big vocal stuff yeah, at the it's end, epic. So. The ending's epic. <laughs> well that's a bit more of the kind of stereo phoenix um influence uh, yeah a bit more of the sort of progressive side of right. what i've been doing recently and not not you know not being afraid of the music so um it's good it's good it's gonna be interesting to see how what people make of it yeah. you know sort of sales wise you know i hope i hope it does appeal across the board yeah i do too i mean you know I'd, 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 as much as anything i just want people to to hear it and I, and i and i i like the idea of i mean that's partly why i put a beatport chart up yesterday that that featured you know there's a lot of broken beat a lot of breakbeat stuff um that actually gets classified elsewhere these days and you have to do a fair bit of crate digging to find a lot of it which I've always liked doing and I'd rather I'd actually rather these days spend my time doing that and searching for tracks that I find that are mine than going through promos and getting yeah. something for nothing. I'd rather own the track. I'd rather yeah. you know Yeah. Is, I don't mind paying for tracks that I like. No, me neither, man. You know, I don't understand <laughs> what the problem is. <laughs>
I know. I mean, it's it's not like it's not like you're asking for the world from people. It's you know, drop one pound fifty or a couple of dollars on a piece of music that someone spent a week and a whole bunch of stuff actually, you know, their time just putting together. It's but I'm you know I I I'm still a collector of music even though it's all digital these days by and large. You know, I'm I'm still a collector of music and it's um. You know, my Serato, I think I've got probably three and a half thousand tracks on there now. And I've only been using it for maybe two, two and a half years or something. And that's like, that's the level of consumption of music I tend to get through. So, Well, you do like to play a long set. <laughs> I've been known to <laughs> get self-indulgent now and again. Yeah. What's the longest you played for? Uh, I did about, in Berlin this year, I did seven and a half, I think, something like that. Seven, I, but I had to go to the airport to get my flights. Cut it short, but where was that? That was at Golden Gate. All right, okay. Which is really such a fun spot. Yeah, I've not, I've not played that. Oh, it's really good. I mean, it's just one of those, um, one of those proper after hours joints that just. I mean, that the party that I played at had been going for nearly forty eight hours when I came on, (laughs) (laughs) and the guy, (laughs) and the guy, um, the guy who owns the clubs, wicked bloke he uh he texted me that night at 10 o'clock i got back to england just about to go to bed and it's like the party's still going <laughs> unbelievable that was sunday night you know it's just the, the europeans um they they look at it differently don't they They do yeah and it's you know look at the scene in berlin it's partly why the tempo is as slow as it is as well like culturally people go to clubs for a lot lot longer than they do in the UK. Yeah. In the UK, it's almost like a football match of rowdiness. Everyone gets totally wasted in you know in the space of two or three hours, and then they they're gone. It's even worse in America. Yes, because they've they've got less time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, you played um Kazantip this year as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. How was that? It was all right. Yeah, yeah, it was alright. Like, crazy town. Isn't yeah, it? it's a. It's. I mean, it's the second time I've been out there. It was. Um, it was a bit weird this year because I had a really late set. Um, I was playing at five thirty, right. which I would have loved if I'd been there to play house music and techno. But I wasn't. I was there to play breaks. Yeah, it was on a so. break stage. Yeah. So did they have the main stage for the breaks this time? Uh, or was it no, not on the night that I was there for two nights, and they didn't. Right. Not. Not on this. This I think the night before they'd had the big opening night. So right, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's a it's a fun it's a fun thing, you know. It's um, it's got a lot of character, chasm tip. It's proper mission to get to, and yeah, it's not easy. All the, it does nothing about it feels that easy, and and re- you know, I think I think for me to really to go there and really kind of cut loose and get into, it, I think I'd need to be there for about a week and yeah. just properly. Submerge myself into it, not worry about DJing, just go and because there was some great stuff on. You know, yeah. there was a like a Jamie Jones night um, was on. Loca Dice was playing. There was some there was some really cool stuff that I wanted to see, but I was kind of locked into doing what I was there to do, so yeah. I didn't get as much chance as I'd have liked. So was it in and out? Um, I was there. For, I was there for like I left midway through the night on the second night, so right. I couldn't really yeah. get too deep into mm. it really on the second night it's nice so. being by the sea though yeah yeah it's lovely. In, I mean, in the surroundings are fantastic yeah there, you know they definitely go to a bit of effort yeah and it's got you know it's got quite a unique um it's got quite a unique feel to it it's pretty much unlike anything anything else that i've been to but you know it's one thing i find quite quite odd about it is how it when you look at the websites and stuff it's almost 
sold like an 18 to 30s holiday or something. <laughs> you know, lots of beautiful people on the beach and all the rest of it. But actually, you know, at the same time, how cutting edge is it as a music festival? It's do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. Um, yeah. It's not. It doesn't feel. Certainly this year, it didn't feel like a particularly underground experience. It felt uh, okay. You know, it's it's a it's a you know it's a very cool event, and it it just seems that there's a bit of a discrepancy between the way they sell themselves and what maybe what they are when you get there. So all right. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm. Yeah, people bear that in mind. <laughs> it's not an 1830s holiday, but it no. can be yeah, sometimes. But, yeah, it could be. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, so the One Series, you're bringing your One Series to London. Yeah. Um, well, this will be this will be the sixth, no, yeah, seventh one I've done, I think. Um, and it, it's, you know, the, if people don't know about it, it's just the basic premise that it's one DJ, one room for the whole night and the you know, DJ sees it from start to close. Um, which, you know, for me just strikes me, we were talking earlier about music and how both of us have, and it's partly why you've set up this podcast as well. It's an opportunity to play a bunch of stuff that maybe you wouldn't get to play at peak time in your sets. Similar thing with the One Series. It's well, if a, I want to carry on DJing, well, <laughs> I want to carry on getting booked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, this is this is like just trying to carve out carve out an opportunity for myself to spread my wings as a DJ. You know, and the the very first sets I ever did were four, five, six hours long, and that was normal. And, it, you know, the music was right across the board. So going from Nirvana, Stone Roses, Belgian New Beat, Acid House, um, you know, early sort of jungle, hardcore, whatever, it was literally pretty much whatever anybody wanted at the time. You had to have it. Yeah. And... Um, and it's kind of it's just nice getting back into those proper long sets, and you just well, that kind of that sort of summed up the big beat scene then, just as you said that, yeah, which a lot of people don't really make the connection between big beat and break beat, yeah, because they didn't come into it from that side, but yeah, both me and you did, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, Chemical Brothers playing some rock tracks, uh, yeah, heavily yeah. social, Weatherall you know, as well, you know, Andy Justin Weatherall, Robertson, yeah. John Carter, and that lot, all very, very eclectic. Yeah, and it worked. You know, yeah, it worked. Hearing just a big melting pot of ideas, and that's how that's how both myself and you kind of drifted into breakbeat. You know, yeah. not not by jungle, not by drum and bass, where a lot of people believe was the spiritual home of breaks. Yeah, um, obviously it has a, a major influence on the scene but you know i didn't come in through yeah and bass. i was into breaks long before there was no and bass. you know for, for like like going back to talking about breaks again but, <laughs> but are, you yeah. know um for me like you know around about 97 when adam freeland and Tao and um rennie you know did the the friction, friction things for me that was almost like a bit of a nail in the coffin for the music and i don't mean to be controversial saying that but but what what it did is it kind of Almost like this is new school breaks, you know. It, 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 it this made is, a claim on it a made sound, a claim yeah. on a sound that yeah. didn't really exist before that, and um, and it kind of it almost forced a lot of people it forced a lot of people away from it. But it also it it was like okay, if you don't do this sound, it 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 doesn't really count. So I think from that point onwards, maybe you know what we what we did tend to we just tended to be outsiders beyond mm. beyond that kind of that yeah. scene. Yeah. Definitely. I remember Rennie Pilgrim phoned me up and, uh, and I'd never met him before. He phoned me. I knew who he was because he was kind of getting a lot of um, 
coverage from friction and because of friction, should I say. And um, he said, oh, you're making new school breaks. I said, am I? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, I listen to—I don't know about you—but I listen to back uh, back to a lot of those tracks that I know. I know quite a few people within that scene are, would say were absolutely seminal, like hip hop phenomenon and stuff yeah. like that. Leaves me so stone cold, I can't even begin to describe it. It just sounds like a bunch of scientists going nutty on a keyboard with ADHD and you know a bunch of acid or something. Yeah. Just doesn't has no real soul to it to me. I just don't understand the music. I'm not saying it it, it doesn't. It just doesn't work for doesn't me. for you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it was funny because there was life there was breakbeat life long before yeah that hit um it's just uh like you say you know people make a people make a claim to a sound and yeah and then it's there yeah yeah quite well maybe we can do that later in the show <laughs> <laughs> talking about djing i've got um, a few questions from the facebook i'd like to ask you uh-huh um, do you have any favourite memories of DJing or maybe a period of time where you were playing and you were just absolutely loving it and things were working for you and everything was aligning? I, put, I, I, I added some to that question. Yeah, yeah, I mean... <laughs> it didn't actually sound like that on the Facebook. <laughs> um, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a great one for... Um... I'm not a great one for looking back on stuff, to be honest. I'm not a great one for, like, the rose-tinted specs of, oh, it's great in 2006 and, it was the, you know, the sound was better then or, or the vibes were better or the crowds were better because it's not necessarily the case, well, you things know. Things are going pretty well for you now. Things are going fine, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, you have disappointing shows and... Well, everyone has stinkers. Yeah, yeah, you know, we do. all know yeah, that. Every, everybody, everybody has them and, you know, you, you have a run of two or three and things suddenly start looking quite gloomy. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you have you have a couple of sensational ones and... You're on top of the world. Everything's great again. Um, I mean, for me personally, there's no there's been no, no better shows um, than playing at Burning Man over the years. That's, that has been... It's kind of... Um, you and me played there together for the we first, both first went year. for the first year, didn't we? It was, yeah, um, um, two thousand and nine. I was um, just blown away. Yeah, you know, I was speechless. Uh, it all, you know. Yeah. Um, we we got together before that, and obviously neither of us had been, so we were just going by what friends had said. Yeah. Trying to hunt through some music that we wanted to play. Yeah. With no idea about what was going to happen. Yeah. But. I guess when you know when you've been DJ for a quite a long time and you have an idea of why people are listening to you and why they come yeah. to hear you, you know, I think we had we had we had, we did have a plan. It's just we didn't know it was going to work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we we executed it really well as well. It was yeah. I, that was one of my favourite sets, I think, because it, it 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 you know I don't know what I, I can't really remember what our expectations were <laughs> going into it, but they were definitely superseded by what yeah. happened. We broke the sound only broke, came came down once. Yeah, that's it? true. You know, yeah. which. Um, any DJ that plays at Burning Man, you almost you just factor it into your sets. You know, you're going to have some stops. You can have, yeah. You know, if, um, obviously USBs helped things along big time with the with the CD players because no moving parts now, so yeah. that's good. You know, we were playing CDs at the time, and and we still managed to get through with only one stop. Yeah, which, about a three hour set. I think no, it was. it was a long set as well, um, particularly for something like that at Opulent Temple where it's. You know, it's like everyone gets an hour. And everyone gets an hour, and we we were given a, a good old crack of the whip, and it was it was amazing. But you know, 
off the back of that, you know, had to come back the next year and then district kind of happened the next year. Yeah, so that's that the first year, year wasn't it? Was yeah. the first year of the year after, wasn't it? The first year we went was Rock Bottom. That's it. Which was that tiny little tent in the middle of a huge <laughs> bit of desert, basically. <laughs> and everyone was like, um, oh, you should have seen it when it was the deep end. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like we, I kind of yeah, missed we the boat. Yeah. <laughs> That's great, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, there's like, there was a sea of people here before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that being yeah. said, I really enjoyed that set as well. And yeah. we got, we both of us made a lot of friends and... Um, you know, that's just carried on year on year for me and, and kind of ramped up. So, you know, the sets I've done closing district the last four years have just been amazing. I well, mean, you've become a, um, you're a regular, you know, you're part of the crew. Um, you're wearing a district teacher now. I am, yes. um, So do you have to work behind the bar as well? Um, <laughs> I did take a shift last year, but I actually bottled out when it came to it. I was, t I was just too burnt out. I had it quite late in the week and... Um, you know, last year I did 13 sets, so I, I just, I know, it was too much. Um, so I, I dialed it back a bit this year, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, you get to, I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't have done that and be taken seriously by anyone, so. Yeah, just stand there <laughs> trying to make cocktails to give to people. <laughs> exactly. Can you what that tastes, mate? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, we should say, um. We should give a shout to the district crew. I don't think we have on this show so no, far. No, absolutely. I mean, they, you know, they, those those guys and girls have just been um, they've just been amazing, and they've just become they become such a kind of core part of my family worldwide when I travel. You know, they're not just based in San Francisco; they're kind of all over the place. Um, and yeah, it's just I mean, it's just a genuine privilege to stand up on that stage and and play to a couple of thousand people with the sun going down and just this year as well they 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 had function one um basically a, an amazing system it was just perfectly dialed in they had a guy who was walking around for the whole week with a laptop doing sound tests eight ten hours a day just dialing it in making it sound perfect and it, it the difference was it just included everybody right to the back where the bar was everyone felt just part of the party the whole time and so it had the atmosphere oh, from the whole yeah just ramped it up another notch so um well saying that when like i said about you know you being a regular i guess like you know you could call yourself a resident in some <laughs> some respects you know yeah um have you ever come across any residents or local djs at any of the clubs that you played at sort of you kind of sort of watch them play and saying this guy's fucking awesome you know, I'd love to say it happens more often than it does. Um, th there are people that I have a huge amount of respect. There are people that that's happened. I mean, people like Micah in um, Australia and uh, Amber. Yeah. I know you've had on yeah, the I show. Yeah, I did one the first show. Just, n I've never been. I've never been disappointed with with um, with what Micah does at all. He's, you know, he's um, he's he always he understands the crowd. He reads it really well, day night. Um, whenever warm it's, up clothes yeah exactly yeah. just kind of has it down um the same thing like in hungary as well with um you know kevin fine cut bodies yes and yes. going back a bit naga as well yeah um, and then you know more recently meta as well yeah you know those guys all um the 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 thing that they've got in common is they've run their nights for a decade or 15 years even and they've been there Week in, week out, they completely get the crowds and they know how to 
builds things up. You know, e- equally the low down and dirty guys yeah. going back to tangled yeah. times. Um, some of the some of the uh, residents from Kingpin as well and technique. Yeah, Going back years, you know, urban guerrilla guys were yeah. absolutely awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, there have been there's there's been there's been a lot over the years, but recently, in terms of newcomers, you know, I just get the sense that a lot of kids that are coming in are seeing it in a quite a different way, and it's they're maybe not getting the opportunities to do two hours or three hours while people are coming in. Right. You know, remember Will Saul as well doing the openers at Hum, amazing. Yeah. Yes. Used to love her. I mean, well, I'd get well, down there early just to see him play. The same. Like, you know, lots of people did arrive early because, you know, Will Saul would play yeah. an incredible set, you know, yeah. just an, a very eclectic, yeah. interesting set, you know. Um, I think the difference is, is that some people would, like, like Will with Hum, he'd turn up and he, he didn't care about being the star. Yeah. He just wanted to play a really cool set. So if anything, he was digging through his own catalogue of music and thinking, yeah, this is cool. It's cool. You, but that, you know, that is, that's the function of the warm-up DJ, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's to, you know, it, and what Will did brilliant is he, it was like he embraced the room and you could see people, when they walked in, they felt like someone had gone up to them, give them a big hug musically, you know, and you could just see him. He'd literally be there, you'd drop in tunes and you'd see people making their way slowly from the bar towards the dance floor and then, he he it's like he'd gone fishing and he just picked a few out and they were on the floor and then always by midnight when the headliners started coming on, it was just primed and ready to go. It's brilliant. Yeah. And now he's running horse, is his yeah. label, and um he signed Dusky and the success that's gone to Will is is very well deserved. Oh, absolutely. I mean I've got I've got all the time in the world for Will and his you know, his DJ sets have always have always been great. I I think he's got he's got a really good ear for melody as well i think he just he combines yeah. those two things really well i think it's yeah excellent dj mm. i'm gonna try and get will on the show while i'm in australia hopefully mm. um talking about australia uh, rainbow serpent <laughs> yes let's do that then <laughs> let's um this is the second time i've actually mentioned it on the podcast because um I, I was very pleased to get booked but but you were booked before me and um i saw you on a lineup and i was looking at lineup look at zabelia and yeah. There's a ton of ton of good DJs playing it. OPO's playing it as well. Yeah. And they got um, you know a lot a lot of Australian DJs like like Jamie Stevens and oh, Phil, nice. Phil Kay's doing it. Nice. Um just a really good eclectic bunch of DJs. Someone said on the Facebook, um, what you got any plans about what you're gonna play? Not really. <laughs> any kind no. of you I got mean... any idea what vibe <laughs> or flow? That's an awkward question. Well it is, yeah. I mean it you know, a lot of it depends on what your slot is, how long it is. Um something I've loved about these one series sets or the Simon Shackleton sets is that um, generally I, you know, I feel that I need, I need a longer period of time to really get into that music to just, to just give it some time to breathe. You know, you don't want to be mixing it. I mean, a lot of those sets are like 120 to 122, 23 BPM. So it's all fairly kind of mellow in a way, but you can build some real intensity through it by the track selection and you need quite a big canvas to do that with. So it will like partly depend on that. If you get given an hour and a half and you're right in the middle of the night in between a couple of fairly peak time players, then that's kind of the way you've got to take it really. But um, 
Yeah, well, that's yeah. The, that's not the moment you're trying to prove to the crowd that you're quite broad-minded as a DJ. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no one will thank you for that. <laughs> no, and that's what DJing's all about, that, isn't it? It's about context. It's about finding the right music for the right time. And, um, and yeah, you know, both of us are, are certainly able to play really across the board. And, you know, you always adapt, don't you? you kind of some crowds, some crowds are really sort of, boozed up some crowds are quite druggy some are i don't know like impress me crowds they're standing there with their arms folded what do do you prefer crowd wise with um like like you said there's obviously a lot of types of crowds you can play to Mm. um, and each has their own vibe you know it's like you know i think i think with a a a drunken crowd it's kind of instant gratification you know yeah they're they're quite vocal yeah, and you kind of need to give them something quite vocal back. You know, you need to give them something to scream leer along yeah. to. You know, um, but you know, despite like all of these long sets, despite despite that, and sort of moving a little bit more towards the deeper end of the spectrum. You know, this summer I had a lot of festival shows, and um, and I I set out to devise sets that were absolutely as punchy as they could be. So I spent I think three or four weeks editing stuff just even tracks that I was already playing in my sets, coming back to them, chopping chunks out, rearranging them, doing a load of new edits and stuff. And actually by the end of, by, by the time I got to the festivals I was playing, I'd done 160 edits this summer. Which detailing was, Yeah, like just, yeah. but I really, I didn't want that eight, but that might, you know, you'd ask yourself, why don't I play that track more often? That's because of those 16 bars there that just drop a bit. So I took them out. And did that with everything I was playing. So when I actually came to play the festivals this summer, I really enjoyed it. You were it was ready. Like, yeah. Oh, I can do this. Yeah, and it was exactly the way you want to play it. Yeah. You know, you know I'm going to say is that when you're playing and you're playing a certain track, you look at the crowd and you think, I wish this track was a yeah. bit shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or that yeah. bit just isn't right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it was about. It was just about fine-tuning everything. Um, and also I did away with Serato as well this summer. Yeah, you were playing off USB when I saw you. Yeah. Um, Wicker Man. Exactly. I mean, that was I did it for the festivals because I just didn't want to be getting computers out and rewiring Fucking for growing it. an hour set or something. Um, but I haven't been back. I haven't gone back to it at all. All right. Um, you just made the switch on to... Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's sort of looking looking at it and trying to work out. I mean, there are some real positives of having that technology there. Um, but, the you know, the, the USBs seem to, become, seem to become a lot more stable. And they're standard everywhere as well now. That's the big you know, change, isn't I mean, it? I'd say a good 90% of yeah. the places I've played it, they're, they're available. Well, definitely. And I think if you put a, two, you know, a pair of 2000s on your rider... Um, even six months ago in some of the shows that we'd play, I think, you know, you'd have had kind of, you'd have had promoters saying, we just can't, we can't do that. Yeah. But that isn't really the case. Anyway. I, I think it's because more DJs are requesting them. Yeah. It, it's becoming more of a a standard for DJs. Yeah. You know, requesting Because you, you remember when CD players yeah, used yeah. to request CD players and they'd be like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, technology. Yeah. No, it's it's it. Ha- I mean, man, it's changed immensely. It's um, what you can do with those now as well. Just the possibility. I mean, I've been I've been leaving my hotel room, holding my headphones with the USB stick in my pocket. I'm not even taking a bag with me. <laughs> you you know? just put it around yeah, your it's neck. Nice and you're listening to your Walkman. And there's something Walkman. quite yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Walkman. <laughs> 
dear, oh dear. Now, now we're showing, uh, yeah. well, I'm showing <laughs> no, my age. I, I never said Walkman. <laughs> walkman. Yeah. Your mini display. You need to get a Walkman. <laughs> Yeah, yeah fuck iPods. Yeah, that's a, the Walkman. That's a whole angle. We'll do a back-to-back Walkman set or something. Oh, well, change the CD. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. So, well, I'm still going to talk about some, some of the playing stuff. Where, where in the world do you, you know, you, you're feeling? Um, West Coast America these days, big time. Um, really, really enjoyed. I mean, that's a lot of that's come out of the Burning Man stuff. Um, you know, I always enjoy playing in in Berlin, um, in France. Um, well, we had a good show last yeah. Christmas in Berlin at Tracy. Yeah, really good. That was a yeah. savage <laughs> place. That is really. It's like a insane asylum, isn't it? It really. is. It's where all the mental people go and bang their heads against the wall. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was fun. Australia's. I still really enjoy going out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of places that I used to play that uh, have fallen off the radar already, like China. I mean... Yeah, China used to be quite right. Yeah. shows. And we had a good probably four years yeah. where we'd go out Regularly. two or three times a year and play out there. And um, the first few times I went were amazing, you know, just yeah. like blew me away. Um, but that's all changed. That's all uber commercial now do you remember when we played in hong kong and someone threw a bottle at me (laughs) (laughs) and it hit me in the eye (laughs) yeah that was a bad scene that show very dangerous place to be that stage well the promoter (laughs) never never came to the show because he knew that that was going to happen didn't he yeah well he didn't pay the no the people the gangsters no well the gangsters had (laughs) in fairness the gangsters had stabbed him 12 times six months ago yeah at one of his shows so he kind of moved to another so I country. So I, just to leave the DJs there to fend off. Yeah. I was a casualty. <laughs> I caught a bottle of water in the eye. Oh, no, I remember seeing seeing Lee, because um, the the bottles were coming over yeah. in the breakdowns, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. And Lee had twigged this, so every time a breakdown came, he was just ducking under. down under the decks. <laughs> I wasn't that clever. No, no, you've never been that clever, Mark. No, thank you. <laughs> so this is a question that um, I asked Marvin... And it got quite controversial enough enough to me to have to edit some of his comments out of the podcast. Um, DJs behaving badly, you know. You've been DJ for a long, long time. You've obviously witnessed a ton of things. Have you? Have you I mean, by seen... bad behaviour, do you mean just general I mean, loudness? And I just mean DJs doing things that you go, "Wow, I've heard, I've heard it, have I've heard of people doing this, but I've never seen it." Or no. You know, or anything, anything sort of, you know, all promoters. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a lot of promoters disappear at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that happen a few times. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that kind of comes with the territory, isn't there? Right. There's a lot of, um, yeah. There's a lot of sordid behaviour goes on, and um, and you know, I, I mean, I've I've come across plenty of DJs that have been properly antisocial yeah and you know well, quite lot, hard to get yeah. on with um i think you get a lot of djs that do sometimes believe that they believe their own hype yeah you know i don't think that's a myth yeah i think that's um, true i mean i think you know another thing like that you've got to bear in mind with all of that though is that if you're you know if you're doing this on a regular basis and particularly if you're on tour 
And that's when, you know, I did a, I did a future music tour a few years ago with um, the Chemical Brothers and Sven Vath and a few other people. And he was a maniac. Sven Vath, <laughs> I mean, a complete maniac. And the Chemical Brothers, they had a big old trailer backstage and they never ventured out of it after hours at all until the last night. And everyone was going, we're going to have a tour party backstage and whatever. And I remember Tom opening the door of the trailer and sticking his head out. And at that moment, this chair and table set just came flying through the air nearly took the bloke's glasses off and it's Sven Vath literally just it was like a, <laughs> a Tasmanian <laughs> devil literally just getting everything and just throwing it at everybody the whole kind of party scattered and just vanished but you know you <laughs> you know what it's like you do those tours and you are you're doing two or three sets a day doing flights in between doing after parties doing whatever it might be and you get to a point where almost everybody loses it you just you have a moment you know you have moments where you just can't well you told with crystal method who are pretty yeah. famous for their their tour antics yeah well i mean you know we, we were in the we were in the crew bus on that tour so we did um we had there were 12 of us and we did uh six weeks on the road and i think we had two days off in that time and we did the first 21 nights back to back, we did shows. And then on the 21st night, we did um, an all ages show as well. So we did 6 p.m. till 10, House of Blues in Chicago. And then they cleared the venue out and 45 minutes later, we did it all again. So on the 22nd day, it was our day off. And I remember waking up somewhere in South Carolina at a road junction and it was 100 degrees. It was just boiling in the bus and it had broken down. And it was a 500-mile drive to get to our hotel and we were all just dreaming of, like, this this <laughs> pool day. We were all going to get there, just, you know, have a few hours in the afternoon. And we got there with five minutes to spare before last orders at 11 o'clock at night. And sat in a waffle house on this crossroads in South Carolina for about six hours. And eventually the breakdown people came, fixed us up, and we got there and we got to the bar. We ordered about 30 drinks just sat there pretty much through the night, just getting leathered. And then the next morning it started again and, you know, you're off doing it. But you, people just lose it. People, every yeah. night on the bus, it's, somebody it's intense, went mental. Yeah. You know, the touring, and also sleep deprivation yeah. and everything else goes with it. Hangovers permanently, you know, calm downs as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's also, there's a night, you know, on those tours, everybody, get, like every night, if you're with a group of people, at least one person is going to properly get on it every night. And that's just the law. That's how it is. And you might have decided long since that that's the night you're going to, you're going to be good, you're going to get to bed, you're going to give your liver a rest, whatever. And before you know it, the whole bus is just an orgy of stupid, you know? Right. It just, <laughs> it's just how it is, right? It's funny, isn't it? Because when, when you think about those times when when you see it firsthand and it's... But your part to blame, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, oh well, why not? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, and you can't help it. It's it you, you you know you don't really have much choice to be honest. You're like you're stuck on the bus, come what may. You're going to enjoy it or going to sit there being moody about it. It's I kind guess of, it's a bit. It sort of harks back to Burning Man, really, because that's like a tour that doesn't move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it is and you know do people uh, it's very rare you go through one of those weeks without having a dark times you know 
you've, you know, you've not slept properly for five days and you're in the middle of a six-hour set or something. It's... <laughs> Not that easy. I don't know if you've ever had this, but sometimes when if when I'm really tired or when I've been doing a lot of travelling, I'm sort of DJing and playing, and I'm in my own world, and I kind of sort of have like a moment of clarity. I sort of look up and think, fuck, I'm DJing. Yeah, and I'm true, yeah. responsible for the entertainment, yeah. you know? And I'm just sitting there, and I'm in a daze where I'm so tired. Yeah. Well, I did a tour in America earlier this year, the Game Changer Tour. Where I did, yeah, that was big. That was a lot of dates. Yeah, I did 16 dates in 17 days, and a lot of them were flight days as well. So, you know, there, there were a couple where it was short, you know, it was drives and whatever, but by and large it was, you know, it was harsh. And there was, you know, I got towards got towards the, the like, got into the second week and I was on a run of eleven shows back to back to to the close of the of the tour, and um, you know the travel just I was trying to get in from Canada back into America, and I'd literally come from the club in Canada, I had to get rid of the bottle of whiskey I had in the airport. So I forgot it was in my bag, basically, um, in an absolute mess. Got to got to the border. I had an hour and a half arriving in the U.S. to get my flight. And there were probably 600 people off an Air India flight um, doing immigration and then me. And then behind me, another flight came in just after me from China, like 400 Chinese folk who, who, bless them, didn't really, like the idea of queuing wasn't, they weren't that (laughs) au fait with it. So it just became... For people that don't know and haven't been in any internal flights in China, it's like the second the plane lands, everyone's on their feet, but like it's not even stopped. The plane's still going. Yeah. And they're on their feet getting their luggage. No idea or concept of waiting or queuing. This is what happens. This happens. Yeah. Well, I was in that line for three and a half hours. Like my hangover just sort of slowly... Life just draining out yeah. of you. <laughs> I missed my, you know, missed my flight by a good two and a half hours. They rerouted me, and it was ended up being a fourteen-hour travel day to get to the show. And there were sixty people there, and the promoter never paid me. Oh man! So, man. yeah, where was this? Oh, well, I shan't say. <laughs> name and shame. Yeah, it was Houston. Houston. Yeah, just goes to show, doesn't it? It's like you get arseholes. Yeah, it doesn't happens. matter. Doesn't matter how hard you work, how hard you try, and how hard you try to um, protect yourself from that happening. Yeah. It can happen to anyone. So, Simon Shackleton. Yes. Um, <laughs> Question that I, I really like this question as it goes. Um, what? Why did it take you so long to choose your na- your own name for some product? That noise is the dog Lucy, the little one. With she's her cutting loose on the beanbag. She's letting go. She's really upset about that Houston promoter. Yeah, she's, she's, <laughs> she's giving that pillow a good shake. Oh, dude, <laughs> gone everywhere. Anyway, yeah, Simon Shackleton. <laughs> Sorry. Um, um, so it's, it's obviously you, you've you know produced what well, it must be what over twenty years. Yeah, been yeah, about twenty years. Yeah. So you know, twenty years in, and you've decided to put your own name <laughs> to a project. You can't really call it an alias, can you? <laughs> no. Um, <clears throat> what 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 changed? What made you do that? Um, it, it actually came it came out after after the burn last year. So I came, I, I, I came away from Burning Man and um, locked myself in the studio for a good few weeks and just made a load of music that I wasn't expecting to make at all. It was just quite emotive, quite progressive, 
quite techy, certainly not peak time, really. Um, certainly not, not peak time for the sets that I'm used to playing and needed somewhere to place it. You know, it's taken me ages actually to get, it took me a good six or seven months to get around to releasing any of those tracks. So, you know, Stereo Phoenix, which is the new label I'm running, um, that was born out of really a, a need to find a vehicle to release the music. So, you know what it's like, you're setting up a late, so then you dial it back and you need to design logos and you need to get your head around exactly how you're going to start releasing stuff. So that's really how it's come about. And and actually, you know, this this year and in the last six months, the Simon Shackleton tracks I've done have been probably less dance floor again than what's gone before. And that there's almost a bit of a, you know, there's this kind of sound evolving out of them now that I'm really quite excited about, which is... Um, you know, just much more to do with my vocals and I've been playing some guitar and stuff like that, albeit very badly, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I bought, you know, I bought myself a Gibson yeah. and, um, just started doing a few overdubs and bits and bobs. And, and I've always been a real fan of layered music in any form. I mean, that's, you know, it's what techno's all about at the end of the day. I think we've always connected on the sort of yeah. psychedelic sort yeah. of element, you know. Well, I guess this is just the psychedelic element coming more to the fore. Right. And just allowing... involved. Yeah, and, and just allowing them, you know, not being not being afraid of the music, you know, not, not, it, not having to look at the beats first and foremost in the big moments, but just not being afraid to, you know, you've got a musical idea, then just go with it. And I've been, I've been trying to to further get away from the beat side of things. I've been starting a lot of tracks outside of rhythms, which is something I haven't really done much of for a long time. So, um, but yeah, I've just been enjoying it. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. You kind of, um, it's the music I feel quite compelled to be making at the moment. So it's working for you. You're getting a great response from DJs. You know? Yeah. I mean, um, not every, not, you know, is, uh, you know the, the next question is, is, is related to, to this is the, have you had a negative response from, <coughs> excuse me. That's all right. Um, have you had a negative response from a lot of people that are kind of, I want you to stick to this. What, no, what I, are you doing? You know, I, I, I really haven't. I think there's a lot of mythology that goes around, around, you know, about that. I mean, I think, you know, as far as the leap force goes, sure, there are people that maybe love Ghetto Fabulous that incidentally I did 10 years ago now and would like me to do more of that. But that right. was 10 years ago, you know. And <laughs> and and for most, for most other people who weren't as you know the, the things with music right is when you're a kid music means that much more to you because you've got all the time in the world you don't have to worry about dogs chewing bean bags and all the other shit that you have to deal with on a day-to-day so music is like you can be a you know you can be a tortured student or a you know kid at school whatever music's everything it's like for me it was anyway absolutely resonated so when i you know, when I when I load up the iPod or whatever, a lot of the music that still resonates that strongly with me is from back in the day. You know, it's partly why I'm still into Underworld and Left Field and stuff like that. And it's partly why I'm like dissatisfied with some of the newest stuff maybe that doesn't connect in the same way. But that's just due, due to, to me getting older and that resonance still being there. And it's it's the same with, you know, those, those the, the, the people that, that might criticise you for not doing more of that one track or that style that you did in in that era 
they haven't moved on either. That's just because it meant that much more to them at the time. Yeah. We've moved on. Everyone else has moved on. They're just stuck doing that thing, and that's fine, you know. But I don't, honestly don't. I really don't hear that very often, and I try to try to be sensitive at, at shows that I do to what people are there to hear. You know, I don't. It's awkward, though. It can be, but you know, I don't. I don't want to. Um, you know, I don't want to... T- like the, the set I did on the plier this year, the Sunrise set, has had an amazing response from people, you know, just in listens and in the feedback. It's been... It's been, it's really blown me away. Um, but I wouldn't turn up to a, you know, a regular Elite Force booking and, like, do an hour and a half's worth of that because it's not why you've been booked, so... A Sunrise set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, music for a time and a place and a... Yeah, yeah, I, 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 you know, I understand that. Um, so look, we we have move on. Um, talking of music, Dust Bowl, which is our <laughs> joint our, project. That's our joint project. <laughs> Sometimes yes. our joint project when we have time. Yeah. This is a question from the Facebook again. Um, why don't we get together more often? Well, you tell me. <laughs> it's time, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's just time, isn't it? It's like like you just said. It's you know, I've got. I've got more questions here and I could probably ask you today. Yeah. And that's just asking you questions about stuff you're doing. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I really enjoyed doing those. You know, and that that was at a time when you and me were, we were very involved with production stuff anyway. So, you know, both of us actually had a lot more free time than we have now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was, you and I was going, but I had a label manager sort of initially in the first year looking after things. And, yeah, um, and I was the same, you know, I had someone looking after the label. Yeah. Whereas now we do it all. Well, no, so, you know, five days a week was music time. I remember we used to look at our diaries and stuff and it'd be like, well, should we do Tuesday and Wednesday next week yeah. and the week after? Yeah. Well, now we look into like the next month yeah. to try and get some time. Yeah. You know, the answer is, yeah, as soon as possible. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when we do get together, what I normally find is we write a few tracks together and then um, and then we kind of, we're playing each other music at the same time and it's yeah. always, maybe we should do some gigs, you know. Yeah. And then it's, <laughs> well, and the gigs always follow yeah. shortly, don't they, you know. Well, that's, 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 what it's, that's what being in a band is, isn't it? I mean, you're riffing with each other and you're, you're sparking new ideas and, you know, some of the, like the, the Dust Bowl stuff, that Tipton track we did, yeah. which was wicked, you know, that was sick. Six hours work we did that in, start to finish, and then I had a day of just tweaking the production stuff. But basically the idea and the arrangement all came together. In, and I did a track called Waterfall the other day, which is really quite, it's quite complex with layering. It's got 24 vocal parts on it. And I did the whole thing start to finish in 10 hours. Like, well, when you vibe in, you vibe Totally, that's what it's about, isn't it? And, um, you know, neither of, us, neither of us stand around on ceremony when we're, writing music we tend to get on with it you know it kind of flies i think that it's that that's why it's always been easy yeah i've never i've never turned up a, a recording session with you and we've been scratching our heads wondering what to do ever yeah you know and that's a lot of music no and we know. used to you know we used to do um if we had two days we'd do three tracks <laughs> so we do three tracks like sketch them out and then usually have a day or two coming back and refining yeah. it and stuff but i think that's what we did with dust bowl is we yeah. just smashed it yeah, it'd be nice to do some more stuff. Maybe, maybe, um, it's weird because it's like you always say, like, maybe after the summer, but it's, <laughs> it's always summer somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's true. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get the, we'll get the diaries together and 
try and do it. We've been talking about it for long enough. I know. We should just get it done. Yeah, and get a few tracks under our belts. Um, someone I just wanted to bring up um, that I saw has done a track for Stereo Phoenix is uh, Etika. Yeah. Um, Lawrence, um, big fan of Lawrence. He's um, he's excellent at what he does. He's a bike courier. Oh, is he? Yeah. He's, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, first time I met him and he, he he's... He's one of these guys bouncing around, like you know, yeah. full of energy. You know, you're just thinking, oh man, you're going to break a leg next <laughs> week. <laughs> you know, you're going to be in plaster. It's just, just a matter of time. He never is. Yeah. Um, but he's delivered a track for you called Force Field. Yes. Um, so there's a nice little story behind that, which is just that he came to the Force Fields party that I threw on my farm, um, which was, uh, for those who don't know, was just a, it's like an invite only thing that I did. Um, about a month ago now a uh, bit of an experiment I suppose but <laughs> just kind of been talking about it with my wife for years about maybe doing something like that here and it's all it had always been me that had said no I don't I just don't want to do it I thought it'd be too much effort or it would it'd be too complicated and you know I'd, I'd end up with a major sort of major issues on my hand with it but anyway we we did it a month ago and it was wicked it was a really really fun weekend but he uh he came he came to the party and was so inspired by being here and uh, you know the music that was played and all the rest of it he four days later came back with a tune called force fields which was great and it was it's a really nice track um since then i just finished a remix of it um i actually put a force fields vocal sample onto it and now that's gone back to him and he's incorporating it into his own track and it's yeah, it's going to be um, Stereo Phoenix 6, which will be out next month. So. All right, fantastic. Because yeah. um, Mike Home, whom, is that how you pronounce yes, it? Hume. Mike Hume, um, he's got a few tracks. He sent me over a load of tracks and he's like, check them out. I was like, yeah, what are you doing with this? And I was just Jack signed them all. <laughs> like, bastard. Uh, he's seen some, Mike's seen some really great stuff. Good. He's, he's, done a, he's done a track called Salt Lake that I'm particularly excited about. But it's um, it's about 11 minutes long and it's I think it's 115 BPMs. But it's just this kind of hypnotic, grinding, techie house track at 115, which I just love. Um, and, you know, I played it really early on in my... Um, sunrise set at burning man this year and uh it's just absolutely one of the one of the best bits of music i've heard this year and um yeah it's pretty exciting to be putting that out oh so. great great i've always liked mike's music and um a very nice fella as well absolutely yeah i mean it, you know it's, it's difficult like, mike's one of many many people that holds down a full-time job as well as trying to make music and, and i you know i completely appreciate how difficult it must be for people to do that. You know, I mean, I, I, I reckon I'll probably spend half of my week promoting the stuff that I'm making in the other half of the week, right. if I'm lucky yeah, enough yeah. to get that much time in the studio. But um, if you have a full-time job, all you can really do is make the music part of it. Yeah. And but then you find a good label to put it out. Yeah. It doesn't always work like that because no. there's a lot of bad labels out there. I don't mean bad labels as in the music they put out, but the, the effort and the work that they will put into a release. Yeah. Is not everyone's on the same page. Yeah, for sure. 
you know, a lot of people think that just putting up a piece of music on Beatport means that you're a record label. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. It's, it, there's a lot more to it than that. And it's, it's kind of about building a picture for the artists as well over a number of releases. And, um, you know, I just, I really like what Mike's doing. And I like, I like particularly the, since he started to take some of the tempos down, it's just, you know, all of a sudden there's a lot more space around the grooves. And I've always thought, you know, he's one of those producers that has a, he has a really good feel for groove, but a lot of the time it's almost, you know, in the past it's maybe been too lost in too many musical ideas. And it's just great to sort of, it's a nice thing about Stereo Phoenix for me is just being able to say, okay, this is a label where the groove can be king for a while, you know, and yeah. let's not worry too much about whether... It's the biggest moment ever. Yeah, exactly. I'm not really that bothered about that. I just I just want to come up with some music that just sort of warm, analogue-feeling music that makes me happy. That's a good basis for a label. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> so I've got a couple more questions to ask you. Um, in your spare time... Mm. <laughs> spare we, time, yeah. In your spare time, when you're not doing all the things that we've been discussing... What do you like to do? It's like you know, music or hobbies? Mm -hmm. I don't, hobbies, maybe sport or, or anything that you enjoy doing as an escapism from well, music. Well, I, I mean, I do, I do. You know, I kind of, I do a bit of working out and stuff. I do quite a bit of exercise these days. I, you know, go running four or five times a week with the dogs. Love bike rides around here as well because they're it's just nice countryside. Um, hobby wise, you know, I'm I'm really into my photography. Yeah, you are. Your photos are good. Well um, done. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably do, you know, I'd like to do a bit more with that because it's just something that, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm traveling, I do enjoy that. That's something that keeps me really occupied. And I like kind of seeing the art in sort of small, yeah. you know, the small art in big things and whatever. Um, and also gardening, you know, which is kind of comes with the territory of living on a farm. But um, it's quite rewarding, though, isn't it? When you can look back on what you've done for a day, oh, I did that. Well, I like the way it makes you feel as well. You know, I like the I like the like the physical feeling of just feeling pretty drained and you crawl into bed, but you know that you've you've made a difference. You've you know you 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 like we were saying earlier about the farm. One of one of the when it, when it isn't so much fun is when you feel obliged to do it and you maybe don't have enough time to do it properly. That's when it starts feeling quite tough. But um, particularly in the summer months. And I, actually, I love it in the winter. I love it when it's really cold and crisp. You go out and you've got a bonfire going and you're just properly getting involved with tearing out some brambles and whatever. I kind of like that. Burning leaves. Burning stuff. <laughs> just love burning stuff. <laughs> and um, my final question. This is the most important thing we've been building to this. Mermaids. True or false? False. How do you say that, mate? <laughs> You That's say, a one-word yeah. answer. You meant to say, look, yeah. we're, we're very short of time. Can you please sum it up in one word? Right, two words. I just don't like the way you dismissed that. Two words. Photo, shop, in very close juxtaposition. There's going to be this moment everyone's going to go, Mark, you were right. <laughs> you were absolutely right about mermaids. They're real. Show, show me one. Evolution. Show me one. Two-thirds of the planet's <laughs> underwater. Yeah. Do you really believe that like there's stuff out there we haven't seen? No, I didn't say that. I just said mermaids and well, nonsense. Why can't they be mermaids then? It's false. It's that's why. Mermaids. That's because the answer to the question is false. 
Beck should be saying there's no God. <laughs> well, let's, let's save that for another day, but clearly there's no God. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Shag. It's You're welcome. Really appreciated. Um, can I get a few stings off you? Yeah? Of course you can. All right, let's do them. My name's Elite Force, and you've been listening to Lowering the Tone. You can mix it up a bit if you want. Okay. Lowering Elite Force. <laughs> Tone. No, it doesn't work. This is Elite Force, and you're listening to Meet Katie on Lowering the Tone. So there you have it. Lowering the Tone, episode three, finished. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this show. I try and keep it interesting and diverse and educational. <laughs> Take care.